I want to uh, invite my good friend Jamie Downs, who was on cue, to come up at the right time. Hey, so tonight we're talking about uh, our next topic in, in Game of Life, and I've asked Jamie to share. Um, what she's going to share with you is, uh, is a pretty heavy, some pretty heavy stuff, and so it can be emotional, maybe even kind of scary. She's done it already once with our, with our parenting class, but uh, I want to give you, give, want you to give her your attention and uh, pray for her briefly, real quickly, as she starts to share with you. Jamie, tell us your story. Okay, so... Um... Yes. Okay. Let me unmute it for you. There you go. Thanks. Okay, so I'm Jimmy Downs. I'm a senior at Georgetown. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit of my testimony and then um, something that happened with my family. So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my parents taught us about Jesus since I was born. Um, I remember in third grade, I was doing my devotional, and um, I decided that I want to make Jesus the center of my life. So I called my dad in the room. Um, he answered questions for me, and then um, he prayed with me. And then like three months later... Brett baptized me. Um, when I was in seventh grade, my family went through a really difficult time. Um, I remember it was a Friday night, September. Um, we were getting ready to go to a football game, and um, my dad was on his way home from work, and my mom was at Target with um, my two sisters. When she came home, she told us to sit down. Um, she said that she had gotten a call from my dad. He had been arrested, and he was in jail. I remember being um, confused and scared. Why was my dad in jail? Um, she told us that he had been taking drugs from the pharmacy he had been working at. Um, I remember Brett coming over and praying with my family. Um, he told us that we had two choices. We could stay mad at my dad or we could forgive him and show him the grace and mercy and love that God shows us. I knew immediately that I wanted to forgive him. Um, he lost his job that he had, had, the, that he had, had for 15 years. Um, and he went to rehab. Um, and that was really hard because, like, I'm a daddy's girl, and you don't get to, I didn't get to spend Christmas or any of those holidays with him. Um, it was a really hard time for my family, and a lot of things changed for my family. But one thing that didn't was God's love for me, my family, and my dad. Um, God, I feel like th this happened in my life, so I would be able to connect with others who have gone through difficult times and, um, show them that God will help you through it all. Um, and my dad was willing to fight for my family with the Lord's help, and I'm happy to say that he is now almost six years sober. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. You did good. You know, every, every one of you, me included, every one of us, has a friend or friends that has gone through or is currently going through some difficult times, struggles, obstacles. They're at the bottom of a high mountain that they're trying to climb. If you don't have a friend that has gone through something difficult and there's still ramifications in their life because of it, I'm not talking about like they failed a test. I'm talking about big things. If you haven't ever had a friend that's been there or is there, I'll promise you this, you've got some friends that are headed there. Because struggles and difficulties are, are part of life. If you love your friends, which I assume you do, I mean, I, I don't even need to go by a show of hands, who loves their friends? You love your friends, and because you love your friends, you want, you desire for your friends to be overcomers. That when they have struggles like that, you want them to have 
victory. If you're a friend of Jamie or Kylie's and you knew them as, as their family kind of walked through that, that valley, you, you were, if you loved them, cheering them on. You were praying for them. You were going, I, I want to see this family recover. I, I want to see these, these girls have a dad come home. I want them to be better off as a family than they were before. If you don't feel that way about your friends that are going through struggles, just, just don't say that you love them because you don't. I mean, that, that's just a natural part of loving somebody. We, we love our friends. We want them to have victory. But some people think that the Christian life, like walking with Jesus, is, 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 is going to be boring, is going to be no fun, that I, I don't want to follow the Lord because uh, that's, just, I, that's not where life is at. But you know, John 10, 10, Jesus said that I came, not me, Jesus, he said, I came that people would have life and that they would have life better than they could ever imagine it. It's how the message translates it. I mean, Jesus came, and, and if you think that you want your friends to overcome, Jesus more than you wants your friends to overcome. I mean, it's hard for us sometimes to even imagine. My little one, seven years old, asked me, I think last night or the night before, as I was tucking her in bed, uh, I said, I love you. And she goes, Daddy, do you, do you love me more than God? It's a hard question because I had to look at her and tell her the truth. No. Yeah. At seven, you don't really understand that. She's like, what? And so I was like, man, I, I would love to say I do, but God, God loves you more than I could even imagine because God is love. I can experience love, but God is love. And so God loves my daughter more than I do. And as much as you want your friends to have victory in life, to have a great life, to overcome struggle and tragedy and difficult times, God wants that for them even more than you do. So, so the, the question is, if you love your friends and want them to have life, and God loves your friends and wants them to have life, why aren't we spending some t our time connecting those two people together? Why, why aren't we trying to connect our friends to the Lord? I mean, foundationally we should. So, I, you know, again, I've got two little ones. I've got a seven-year-old, 10-year-old. So I try to do on a regular basis some dad-daughter dates, just me and one of them at a time. And then we do some family stuff. And I try to do some creative things because I, wanna, I don't want to just go to like a, the same restaurant every time we have a dad-daughter date. So try to do some fun things that'll build memories and that they'll look back on and remember. And so one of the things that I've done, I think I've shared this with you guys before, we've done what we call treasure hunting. And what a treasure hunt is just, if you know what a geocache is, uh, you, you pull up your phone and there's some people, and I don't, I'm not really that into it, so I don't understand why they do it, but I guess it's a hobby. They'll go and they'll take things like, like little canisters, sometimes big things, and they'll go hide them places and then put the GPS coordinates, and it's called a geocache, and then another person comes along, and, and you find the, the coordinates, and there's some clues, and, and you go and get kind of close, and then you have to search because they're hidden and, and try to find it. And, and when you find it, like, you sign your name in it and put it back. It's not really that exciting. But I thought, for a small kid, that ought to be, like, fun. And so when Rayleigh was seven or eight years old, we went on some treasure hunts. And they lasted about, I don't know, like 30 to 45 seconds before she was like, this is stupid. Can we go someplace else? And so we tried it a couple times. I was like, okay, she's not going to do it. We, we came with some other dad-daughter dates. When Emerson got to the age where she could do it, we start, I tried it with her, and she absolutely loves it. I, I, just the other day, we were looking for one. It's somewhere hidden behind the Palace Theater in that alley. We never could find it. It's like there's like five levels of difficulty. It's level four. I discovered later that there's not another geocache in Georgetown that's level four or level five. So 
dad of the year took his seven-year-old and went, let's go find the hardest thing to find ever. And, and so, but, but we were 20, 25 minutes in, and she was still having a good time. Loved it. Never found it. Came home. She's still talking about how fun it was. And we've done it a couple of times. I mean, once or twice maybe during the year. Well, this time when we're talking about it, Rayleigh's standing in the kitchen, and, she, and Emerson's like excited. She's telling her mom all about it, and we did this, and it was over here. And we, we looked, and we saw a picture. We couldn't find it, and we saw the code and all this. And Rayleigh looks at me, and she goes, Dad, hey, next dad-daughter day, can we go on a treasure hunt? And in my mind, I was like, you hate this. Like, we're going to end up getting snow cones 10 minutes in because you hate it. But what was happening was not that all of a sudden she wanted to do a treasure hunt, but she wanted to be a part of the story. I was excited. Emerson was excited. Mom's excited because Emerson and I are excited. And Rayleigh's sitting there kind of watching, and she's like, well, I want to be a part of this. You know, at that very level just itself, we talk about your friends and Jesus and you. If Jesus has changed your life and he's doing things in your life right now, which he should be if you're walking with it, if God is doing things in your life, he's, he's, he's building you into the person he wants you to be, you've got things that you're praying about, other things that you're experiencing, maybe through your church or your own devotional life, you should want some friends to be able to share those stories. Just like, just like Rayleigh wants to be a part of the story. You, you want to have some friends that, that when you go, hey, man, this is what God's showing me, that, that their response isn't like, I don't get it. I mean, you should want that. I mean, I, I think you would if you're walking with Jesus. So at a very foundational level, I mean, we ought to be telling our friends about Jesus simply so we can have some things in common with them if Jesus has changed our life and we love him. I mean, that's, that's normal. If, if you're a sports fan, like I'm a Cowboys fan, I like watching the Cowboys game with other Cowboys fans. You know, I don't like, go, hey, let's find all the Redskin fans and go sit with them because one, they don't even know how to read. Um, and so, you know, you, it's true. Uh, you, know, you, want, you want like stories. And so you ought, to, you ought to be able to share Jesus with your friends simply because you want to have like stories with them. But but put the icing on the cake. You heard Jamie's story. It's not just about, hey, we connect and we share stories, but you ought to want to share Jesus with your friends because Jesus wants to give them life and change their life and make the 80 years they're going to live on this planet the best it can be. If you love your friends, you ought to, that, that ought to be like icing on the cake. So if you've got the cake, shared stories, you've got the icing that, that Jesus is going to change their life, I don't even know what you call the next step you love your friends, you should want them to spend eternity with God and not eternity apart from God. And the, and the scripture is real clear. The only way a person gets to heaven is through Jesus. I mean, all of those things, shared stories that Jesus wants to transform their life now and that they could spend eternity in heaven as opposed to eternity in hell should make me, if I love my friends, go, let me tell you about who Jesus is. I'm just trying to build a logical argument for you. That ought to make sense. We ought to go, yeah, yeah, I get that. We've been in this series, The Game of Life, and, and, and we've been looking at these eight different characteristics that research shows are in people who are spiritually mature. And so you'll recognize some of them. We're about halfway through. But one of the, the characteristics is that people who are spiritually mature, they share Jesus with others, which is what they do. They're not, they're not ashamed of it. We talked about not being ashamed a few weeks ago, but, but that's a natural thing. They go, I want people to know who Jesus is. So tonight and, and, and this week, we're gonna talk about it in small groups, we're gonna be in the book of Romans. So if you can get to your New Testament, if you didn't grab a Bible, you can go grab one back in the corner. I'd love for you to have it. Got it on your phone. If you've got the Bible app, you can, it, it ought to just 
search out your zip code and pull you to the Collide app on there. Once you go to, to the book of Romans, to the New Testament, if you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, kind of that red, those red letter books, your Bible has that, then Acts and Romans. I want you to go to Romans chapter 10. Romans is a deeply theological letter where Paul tells us a lot about God and his character and nature. And in the midst of this chapter, which again, it wasn't a chapter when Paul wrote it, it was just one letter. But in the midst of this, Paul is explaining why the Jewish people, that's the, the people of the Old Testament, who for all of their life, for generation upon generation, had been waiting for the Messiah to come. And then he came, Jesus, that's who the Messiah is, the promised one of God, that would save them from sin. The Jews didn't recognize and still don't recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Paul is giving the explanation of why they don't in this passage. And you can read all of chapter 10 and probably pick up some of that. But inside that description and, and his explanation, he asks some questions that, that flow in a logical order. And we're going to look at them. We're actually going to look at them in reverse because they'll make more sense in reverse. But he asks some questions about salvation, about sharing Jesus with people. So look at Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He says, how then will they call on him in who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So he asked these rhetorical questions. No one's answering him because he's writing it. But, but he's giving this logical argument that is really kind of elementary. I mean, elementary school kids could come in here and get it. But I want us to look at it backwards because he's laying out this, this process Again, it's very simple, but it makes sense going backwards. He says, listen, somebody has to send someone. If, we're, if people are going to ultimately know Jesus, be saved, someone's got to send them, and God's already done that. And so that's in that last question. He says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? So God has sent people to preach. Now, let's like stop, stop right there, because some of you might hear that word and go, okay, preach. That's what you do. That's what a pastor does. That's not what I do word preach actually means to herald or to announce. You saw that in the video we watched at the beginning of this morning where they went to herald the good news. That, that, so it's not about preachers. It's not about a position or a pulpit. What, what Paul is talking about is everybody in this room. Every one of us has the ability and the calling. God has called you if you're following Jesus. If you come tonight and you're, you're a guest and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're, you're not a disciple, okay, this God has not called you. But as soon as you make that decision, he's called you. So he's called many of us to, to preach, to herald, to announce that, hey, there is, there is an answer to life's questions. There is a way to know God. There is a, a pathway that gives you life to the full. But Paul asked the question, and he asked, you know, how are people going to preach if somebody doesn't sin? Well, God has sent, that's you and me, and he sent us to preach. And the next thing, if we go in the reverse order, he says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? So God sends, we announce, and people hear. I mean, again, simple, right? So he says, how are people going to hear if you don't go? How are people going to hear if you don't talk? That, that's the idea here. Do you know that, this will blow you away, do you know there's 47 million people in America that don't have internet, have no access to get online? That's 15% of America. And so some of us, I mean, some people are raising their hand like, I've got no internet. 
So some, like, like most of us in the room would look like, really? Like, how do you, like I know in our office, when the internet goes down, we don't even know how to function. Like we just get around, we roam around and talk. Like we can't even do work. Like, I mean, we're so used to being online and, and being connected that to think that around us, 15% of the population, 47 million people don't have internet. We're like, my mind, right? They kind of blow your mind somewhat. It's the same thing when it comes to Jesus. I think we, we spend time walking around believing that everybody, everybody knows Jesus. Everybody's heard of Jesus. I got a friend, that friend's not a believer. That's because they don't want to be. They had a chance. They don't know. Do you know there are people at your school? There are some people that don't even know who Jesus is. And there's a lot of people that have heard of him, but they know nothing about him. And Paul says to us in this passage, hey, if they're going to hear about Jesus, it's going to be because you shared. God has sent, you share, they hear, and then it's very natural because they hear, they have an opportunity to believe. He says, how are they going to believe they don't hear? Nobody is walking down the street today that doesn't know Jesus, hasn't heard his story. They're not just walking down the street, walking to Chick-fil-A and like, be influenced by the Christian chicken there and go, I think I need to find the savior of the world and I think his name is Jesus. Doesn't happen that way. If you're a believer, if you're a disciple, it's because somebody shared with you and you heard it and you responded, you believed. Paul said, it's just basic, but we've got to go do that. And then he says, after they believe, that's when they can call. And in Romans chapter 10, go back to Romans 10. Let me read that again just so you can see the, what Paul's laying out. He says, how then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? But you go back to verse nine, and Paul talks about, he's already talked about calling upon Jesus. Look what he says. He, he lines out how salvation happens. He says, because if you confess with your mouth, chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So somebody that's in your circle of friends, somebody that's in your home, your family, somebody that's on your sports team, somebody that sits next to you in third period, God has placed them around you in your circle of friends inside your context because God has called you to preach, to announce, to herald so that they can hear so that they can believe and that they can come to Romans 10, 9 and call, that they confess Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead and then they'll be saved. Please don't think that you were sent to your class and sent to your team, sent to your family, sent to your group of friends simply by chance. God has been working and, and moving people into contact with his emissaries, his announcers, his heralds, so that you share because you love them, because you want to share stories with them, because you want them to have life, because you want them to, to spend eternity with God and not apart from him. Paul says it's not going to happen unless you go and do it. I'll just tell you right now, some of you would say this. Some of you, your, your response would be, I'm not good at it. And you might look at me and go, you could do it. You're good at it. Do you know what happens if I walk onto your school campus tomorrow and sit down with a kid that I barely know or don't know and go, let me tell you about Jesus? 
know what happens? The principals, who by and large have a great relationship with our church and me, are going to come and go, you can't do, you got to go. You can't do that. I could come and have a relationship with somebody or somebody asked, they'd be fine with that. They're not going to let me just walk around the cafeteria talking to random strangers and go, do you know Jesus? No, well, let me sit down here with you. But you have the relationships already. I mean, you, you, are, you are the greatest missionary your school will ever see. And, and, and there may be other people that are better at sharing the gospel than you are, but you're it. You're the last line of defense for some people that you're sitting next to. And there is somebody that you're going to school tomorrow to sit by that in their near future are going to have a story similar to the one that Jamie shared. Tragedy is around the corner for them, and they are incapable of finding the answers to that tragedy of life where they can recover. And they're going to spend years broken and far from God because you never shared. So what do we do? I hope, I hope you don't want that. I don't want that. So let me give you, I'm going to give you kind of a, a three stair step, like homework assignment. You don't have to do all three, but I'd love for you to do one. I'd love if you, if you've got the scorecard, you don't, we've lined them out, we laid them out back there by the devotionals. Scorecard has every, all eight of the things we've been going through in the series and a place for you to kind of give yourself a grade on that just so you know, hey, where am I tracking towards spiritual maturity and where am I not? And on the back, it's got, a place for you to write down, what am I doing? What's one thing I'm gonna do? Even a small baby step to step into maturity. So hopefully, you're gonna write one of these three things on here. If you are a young believer, if you're a new believer, maybe, maybe you got saved, you became a follower of Jesus when you were like six or seven years old, and you're 17 now, it's been 10 years, but if you were honest, you'd go, I haven't really been growing very fast in 10 years, so I'm kind of still a young believer you, here, here's your application. Invite somebody. Invite somebody to come with you next week. Invite somebody to come with you to a small group. Invite somebody to come with you to a collide event. Invite somebody to say, hey, come, come in here. Come, in, come and be a part of, of my youth group and what's happening. You, you don't have to be able to share Jesus. You don't have to do anything but say, hey, come and see. Come, come and experience. If that's where you're at, though, that's, that's, you, you get two pieces of homework. One is invite one person. Sometime this in the next seven days, have a conversation, invite somebody to come with you next week. But while you're doing that, you've also got to learn your story. You can't just stay there forever. You gotta be able to get to step two or level two. You, you gotta be able to share your story. You gotta be able to write it down. So I'll tell you right now what we're gonna do in a minute because I'm almost done and we've got a lot of time purposefully. Because in a moment, the band's gonna come up and they're gonna lay down some music. I'm gonna call them up when I'm ready. And they're just gonna play softly. And our ministry team's gonna come along and we're gonna, we're gonna hand you out a little half sheet of paper and some pens. And we're gonna ask you, and I'll tell you more about it in a second, we're gonna ask you to actually do this, to write down your story tonight before you leave so that you can get that practice and start knowing, hey, and, and, and slide that in your Bible, look at it, refine it, so that you can move to step two where some of you are, you're past inviting, you need to go and share your story with somebody this week. That, that's your assignment, to tell somebody what Jesus has done in your life. There's a story about a guy that went to a Billy Graham crusade. Billy Graham is alive, but he's kind of well past. You guys maybe know who he is. Billy Graham is one of the greatest evangelists of our time. 
And back when I was growing up and even well before that, Billy Graham would come to a city and they would rent out, and I'm not talking about like Georgetown, I'm talking about like Dallas, and they would rent out Cowboy Stadium and for two or three nights, Billy Graham would preach the gospel and they would fill up Cowboy Stadium. People would bring their friends and he'd give this invitation and thousands of people would come forward to, to choose to follow Jesus. Well, at one of these Billy Graham crusades years ago, there was a businessman uh, who went to the crusades and friends invited him. He met Jesus. He, he heard the gospel because somebody went to preach and he heard and he believed and then he confessed, confessed Jesus Lord and, and he was saved. And he went down, made a profession of faith. He went back to work and he's at work the next day. He's talking to some friends about what happened. And one of the guys that works goes, man, I'm so excited to know that you gave your life to Jesus last night. And the guy who had just made that decision, he said, oh man, I didn't know that. And he said, uh, he said are, you, are you a Christian too? And the guy that worked with him, he said, yeah, I am. And, and this, this new believer, I mean, he wasn't being mean. He's just, he just kind of naive. He said, man, how long have we worked here together? And the guy said, well, I, I think you were here when I got here and I've been here 23 years so for a long time. And the guy, again, just kind of like, was blown away. And he's like, hey, have you been a Christian that whole time, all 23 years? And the, the guy goes, yeah, I have. And this new believer, again, not trying to be mean, he's just astounded. He goes, man, why didn't you ever tell me? He said, in fact, he said, I've always looked up to you. I've always respected you. And here, here's, the, here's the punch to the gut. He said, I respected you so much that I thought, if that guy can live a life like that and not be a Christian, then I don't need to be a Christian either. Who's in your class that feels the same way? You're a good person. They see you making right decisions and they respect you. They almost envy you. They've never heard your story. 23 years, all the guy had to say is, hey, can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? And the guy might have started following Jesus decades before he did. So if you're past the invite, you can still invite people. If you already know your story, you've already written it out. I know if you've been on a junior high mission trip here at some point, you've written it out. If you know your story, your homework is to share your story. And if you go, man, I don't know how, I don't know what to do, then you just start praying tonight. And maybe instead of writing your story because you've already got it written out, maybe you just spend that time to start praying and go, God, okay, give me somebody this week to share my story with. And if you're already doing that, people see you coming and they're like, uh-oh, you know, here comes Jesus, Jake. You know, he's, he's gonna, I mean, they, 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 know, they know that you love Jesus because you make it clear. They know your story. Here's, here's your thing. You need to learn some apologetics. Apologetics is the reasoning behind faith. So that's your homework. And that's actually a, a, a more difficult homework. That homework is gonna take you maybe from now until the, through the summer. But you need to start reading some things and I can give you as many resources as you can imagine. And start understanding faith in such a way that when somebody comes to you with one of those hard questions that you're scared to get, that you've got the answer to. They start throwing out things that make regular people start questioning faith, like science questions, things like that. You learn some apologetics because you're already an inviter. You already share your story. And when people start going, yeah, but what about this? You can step back and go, well, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you, since you believe in evolution, let me tell you about what Darwin himself said about irreducible complexity and how it makes evolution fall apart. Let's have that conversation. And then you watch that friend go, do what? Ir 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 who? What? 
are you talking about? Because you actually understand faith and science better than they ever dreamed they did because you were level three here. Everybody in this room's got homework. Where are you at? Write down your scorecard. Don't go home and go, I'm gonna do it and don't. Do it. Start stepping in to spiritual maturity. Love Jesus. Love your friends and connect the two of them together. A couple years ago, at the Dupree House, which is a senior adult home in Cincinnati, Ohio, 87-year-old lady named Patty Giss was just going about her typical Monday evening in the dining hall with her other senior adult friends that lived in the facility, eating hamburgers. That was what they serve on Monday nights in the Dupree House. And as she was eating that hamburger, she took a bite that went the wrong way, and she started choking there inside the cafeteria. Some people noticed, and People got panicked. A guy, 96 years old, popped up from a seat, went over and gave her the Heimlich maneuver, and she spit that hamburger out, and he saved her life. That's probably happened other places. But the reason why that made news, and that's a story, is because the guy that jumped up, the 96-year-old man, was Dr. Henry, Henry Heimlich, who invented the Heimlich maneuver. And at 96 years old, a lady's choking. He saves her life. And so the newspaper comes as a story. And in the newspaper article, he said this. He said, it's really nice after all these years to still be saving people's lives. I hope. I hope that when you're 96 and your grandkids or your great-grandkids come gather around and maybe you're on that, those final hours and they're coming to say goodbye to you, that your story will be to your great-grandkids about all of the lives that the Lord walked with you through that you led to salvation and saved. I'm not gonna ask you this to raise your hand. This is not gonna be one of your small group questions. This is a rhetorical question. Rhetorical meaning you don't have to answer. How many people that God has placed inside your circle will spend eternity in heaven because of you. I'm talking about because you lived a moral life in front of them, because you shared your story, because you invited them. They met Jesus because you were intentional with them, because you loved them. And you wanted them to have shared stories with you. You wanted them to have a relationship with God that would change their life like Jamie's. And you wanted them to be in heaven. I'm gonna pray, the band's gonna come up. They're gonna lead us in worship in a second, but they're gonna lay down some music, and I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do right after we pray. 